Hey, sustainable fashion supporter. Welcome to Recloseted Radio, a podcast dedicated to fashion sustainability and equipping you with the knowledge to do better in the world. I'm your host, Selena Ho, and I promise to support you on this journey to right the harmful fashion industry. You ready? Let's dive in. Welcome back. In today's episode, I'm really excited because I'm joined by Akil. He is the co-founder of a company called Green Story. Akil has over 12 years of experience in carbon emission tracking, renewable energy, and is recognized as an expert in sustainable market analysis. His company that he co-founded called Green Story, which you can find out more information at www.greenstory.ca, is a consumer engagement platform for responsible businesses. While consumers respond to environmental impact, getting them to act on sustainable choices can be difficult. In fact, less than 10% of consumers who want to buy green products end up doing so. And why is that? It's simply because most consumers don't connect emotionally with their impact. And so Green Story is able to bridge the gap of consumer intent versus action for green purchasing to increase website and in-store conversions. Akil has a lot of knowledge, and I personally am such a big fan of Green Story and what the company does, so I'm really excited to sit down with him today, and I know that you guys are going to get a lot of value out of this episode, so keep on listening. Hi, Akil. Welcome to Recloseted Radio. I'm so excited to have you on today. Hi, Selena. I'm really excited to be on. Awesome. And to start off with, for people that don't know who you are, do you mind overviewing your career? I know it's a pretty big question, so you can kind of start from <laughs> where you will. I know you did an MBA at Rotman, so I don't know, maybe you could start there or start earlier up to you. For sure. Uh, so I've had a very kind of varied career. I actually did my undergraduate in computer science and didn't quite like the topic. And I really was from a very young age interested in sustainability. I had a chance as soon as I graduated to work with an organization that was doing consulting and market research in sustainability. Um, so that was the beginning of my work in sustainability and my career as well. So it's been 12 years since then. So in 2007 is when I started working in the space. Wow. So I started in sustainability consulting for almost uh, four years before um, I moved on to do my MBA, as you mentioned, in Toronto. So I was in India for, for a period and I moved around a little bit. I was uh, working out of London and uh, the Netherlands here and there. And then I really decided it was time to do an MBA and kind of up my levels and skill, in a sense. The Rothman, to me, seemed like a great opportunity. So that's why I came here to Toronto in Canada and, and kind of stayed on. From there, I actually started working in uh, the energy sector. I was working in mergers and acquisitions with uh, Hydro One, which is the major utility here. And around about that time, I kind of had the urge to do a little bit more around sustainability and kind of align my career around that. I wasn't ever thinking of starting a company at that point, but I was just exploring. It just so happened that one of my colleagues from Rothman was also very interested in the space, and there aren't too many sustainability-oriented jobs in the market, so we quickly realized we might have to make our own. Uh, we battered around ideas for quite a while, almost one year, before we decided on the Green Story concept and kind of went all in. Within that time, I moved from Hydro One to working with the Ministry of Environment here in Ontario. I worked on the cap and trade and the offsets program. Very enlightening. Unfortunately, they're not very alive right now with the new with the new government. So 
around that time after, after the programs were released, I, I quit and started working on Green Story full time. This was back in 2016. Wow. And I have a couple questions I want to dive in a little bit more, obviously, but you mentioned that you've been in the sustainability space now for 12 years, which is really awesome. But what kind of spurred you to start your sustainability journey or your interest in it? And how have you seen the industry shift in the past 12 years? For sure. I kind of had a vague notion that I wanted to do something to help nature and stuff around that when I was a little kid. I was very lucky growing up because my father was working for the government of India and he had a lot of work around sustainability as well. So he took me around to remote villages, forests and all these places where I could see a lot of the work being done firsthand. I saw a lot of the effects of deforestation and forestation. And also I was exposed to a lot of media, books uh, and things around that, which was really around sustainability. And I and so from a young age, I had I had a lot of interest in it. But when I, when I got into college, I was not quite sure what to do. That's why I took computer science as kind of a safe choice. Mm-hmm. But then it kind of reignited my passion in those four years and pushed back into it. And, and I really didn't have an idea as to like that I wanted to do exactly this thing in sustainability. I knew I wanted to do something good that was benefiting the planet. But it was a big question mark as to what. And it's, it's such a huge space, right? You can be sustainable in like a, a, a brewery uh, if you want. Yeah, totally. uh, so, so there's so many spaces. So I, I just spent, uh, I just thought like being in consulting, being in market research would be the best kind of way to give wide exposure to as many different sectors as possible before I kind of decide on my focus. Yeah, totally. That makes sense. And I think it's really cool that you went to school for ComSci and now you started Green Story. I think that's the case with a lot of people now, but I'm sure like your ComSci background also helps you and taught you probably a certain way of thinking. For sure. And, uh, you know, it, it, Green Story is a tech company at its core, even though like my co-founder always jokes that I don't do any of the tech part, even though I'm the computer science graduate. <laughs> he does all of it. But it, it does help. It does help structure it out. It definitely helped during my MBA and during my consulting days just to kind of think in a particular manner. And when we were outsourcing for developers and building out a team, it did help me. I can't code to save my life, but I can you know, try and understand the structures behind it. So when we were designing databases and designing a software structure, I'm able to follow along and give input, which is better than kind of being in the corner and asking, is it done yet? Totally. And speaking about Green Story, for people who don't know, can you tell us what Green Story is and also what your guys' mission is with the company? So Green Story at its core is a consumer engagement platform for green enterprises. Uh, What we try to do is basically showcase the positive impact that a consumer has by purchasing green products right along the customer journey. So we work in two ways. We typically work in the eco-fashion space. This is a place where there's a lot of green products there right now, but the industry has taken a bit of a hit in terms of credibility. There's a lot of greenwashing, and there isn't like for a lot of new companies that are starting out, they, they don't have the time or the money or like the ex- expertise to understand what is their impact and you know how to be greener and how to show it to clients. So that's where Green Story comes in, where we have a mixed model where initially we do a semi-consulting project where we basically work with a company to map their supply chain and understand the positive environmental impact of their sourcing or of their different kind of processes they might employ to have a positive impact. And we do what's called a comparative life cycle assessment for that. 
So this is like looking at each part of the supply chain and seeing like, okay, at each point, how much energy, water, waste, and all you, you produce and create or you use up and then comparing against the average. So like an organic cotton shirt was a cotton shirt and kind of seeing at the end of the day, how much less water you use, how much less emissions you create, how much less energy you use. It gives a credible number to base your sustainability story around because what happens is otherwise a lot of you know the about pages and sustainability stories read more like uh, almost like an arts thesis you know like they talk about their own journey but they don't talk about the data they don't talk about the exact impact that you can have right mm-hmm. so that's one thing we do the second thing is a software part of it which is basically a plugin that plugs into the e-store and shows people along the consumer journey, what is the impact that you have? And this is for us like mapping the customer journey and really showing people the impact along the customer journey was very important because if you have your sustainability data in your about page or on your sustainability page, the data shows that only one to 5% of people actually end up going to that page for anybody. You can be the most sustainable company in the world. People are there to buy your product 99% of the time. So they don't want to like take a roundabout journey to that. But at the same time, you want to show them the impact so they're more likely to buy your product. That's why the impacts that we show, the metrics that we show, which pop up through our uh, through our widgets along the customer journey, on the homepage, on the product page, on the shopping cart, and even in the thank you email that goes out, you're kind of telling people that you're having an impact and reminding them of the why, of why you're buying the screener product instead of your conventional alternative. Totally. I'm such a big fan of you guys and you know that, but I think it's amazing because to your point, people's about page, there's some companies that I look at their stuff and it literally looks like they just took a thesaurus and (laughs) searched up ethical or green or sustainable. Like it's all these buzzwords. And so the fact that you guys put numbers behind it, you make it tangible and measurable is really awesome. You mentioned greenwashing as well, which is such a big problem in today's industry. I think it's great that sustainability is becoming more mainstream, but there's not a lot of transparency to your point. So would you say Green Story's mission is to elude the greenwashing and just bring transparency to people and let people know what's going on? Yeah, so the mission statement that we have is to help consumers make greener choices. That's pretty much it. And the way we are doing that is exactly as you mentioned, through transparency, uh, through showing people the impact. And this is, I think it's a, it's a very important point that you bring up because what happens is right now, even if you're very sustainable and you're not showing your impact properly or not putting some credible data behind it, you get lumped in with the greenwashers. The credibility that you have among the consumers is very low right now, even if you're doing everything right. And this can be shown by a lot of large companies, which you know I won't mention here, who have made big sustainability promises and not followed through. So there is this kind of element of jadedness, right? People are like, okay, this is another company promising to be sustainable, mm-hmm. and then they're not going to be. So, and we've seen this in other industries before. Back in the 70s, like this, the CFL market was really big because there was an energy crisis. And what happened is everybody bought CFLs, but the lights didn't last very long. None of the sustainability promises came true. And most companies were just like manufacturing cheap bulbs, which cost five times as much and didn't provide any of the energy gains that uh, you, you were supposed to provide. 
because of that, people didn't buy CFLs for almost 30 years un- until like, you know, the, the companies that were actually efficient, that were actually sustainable came along. And that, that is a possibility that can happen with fashion right now unless something is done. And that's why, like, we believe that through showing transparency, through showing metrics, we're kind of really telling consumers that you're willing to go above and beyond to give them uh, the data and the transparency that they crave and that you're not just another company, you know, as you said, which has a thesaurus around uh, sustainability. Mm-hmm. And for people that don't know CFL, you're talking about the light bulbs, right? The old ones before the LEDs? Yeah, the CFLs uh, is before the LEDs as well, right? Uh, and I think the LEDs also at once sometime had the same issue, but uh, luckily they've improved and they're a lot more prevalent right now. For your clients and for the businesses you work with, I notice you typically measure carbon, energy, and water usage. And so I'm wondering why you focus on those items and also if you can share how you measure that. In terms of the why, it's about tangibility. When you do a life cycle assessment, you get a ton of different numbers around acidification and all these uh, other human impact metrics. But we did a lot of testing before we went live with Green Story, and we found that if you show the highly technical eco numbers, uh, like kilograms of carbon dioxide and stuff like that, people don't relate to it as well as if you show it through one level of abstraction, like saying like, instead of 10 kilograms of carbon dioxide, it's like saving 20 miles of driving emissions, something like that, right? So as long as the impact is tangible, people are more likely to follow through and believe in your metrics because it's easy to understand, Uh, especially in like the online shopping space, like the rule of thumb we have at Green Story is you have seven seconds. If you are not telling your customer what you need to tell them in seven seconds, you lost them. They'll just tap their way to somewhere else or like click on some other link that's just popped up, right? So you need to kind of capture their attention within that time. In terms of the how, the process we follow is called a comparative life cycle assessment. So the details of that are pretty straightforward. What we do is we start off with a data request form that's sent to the customer, where they send us details around the certifications that they have, what are the companies and suppliers they're sourcing from, what are the cities they're sourcing from, what are the different transportation modes that they employ to transfer their material in between all the different parts of the supply chain. And from that, we basically have a massive data set that we've built out over the last four years, which enables us, depending on the company that you're using, depending on on the uh, cities that you're sourcing from, the types of fibers you're using, to understand at each point what is the environmental impact in terms of carbon usage, water, energy, and a bunch of other factors. Then we actually have data set we've built, which is like the global average. And this is licensed from third parties as well as built on our own, which enables us to see, okay, you're taking organic cotton from India and it's, and it's being manufactured in Canada and you're selling it in Toronto. So we can kind of see then, okay, how did this compare against the conventional organic cotton shirt that you're competing against? So it allows us to show to the end consumer what is the difference that's made in terms of all the different environmental metrics. And we even employ social metrics at times if there is a way to measure it like fair wage labor or like educational development if they're doing donations. Like one of our clients donates books for each uh, sale they make. So we're able to kind of embed that into the sales visuals. Yeah, that's really helpful. And wow, that's a lot of data that you guys must go through, I can't imagine. Well, we have an entire team just working on that. So it's, it's, it's kind of split into two teams. One is like the analysis team and the other is like the visuals and the tech team. 
Yeah, that makes sense. And is there any measurements that you would love to measure in the future as well, or things that you're working on that you could share? Well, we definitely want to do more around social impact. And I know it's been a huge issue to measure social impact in a very credible way because it, it, a lot of it is subjective, right? It's asking workers if they're feeling happier about their work environment or safer. So we're trying to figure that out. There are a lot of great companies who are doing that are on that task already. We're hoping to kind of work with them and collaborate. We also wish there was more, I guess, oversight around the data, because a lot of the times, like even things like GOTS and all, we're not really sure if like the certifications can be trusted as much because uh, mm -hmm. there are instances of falsification of records and all that. And this is true with anything. Like you know, if people lie on their tax returns, they're going to they're gonna lie on their <laughs> sustainability <laughs> returns. But I do wish there was a bit more kind of a structure uh, around that and a bit more education around that so that companies can better understand what is their sustainability value and kind of better understand their sourcing. Well, first of all, I think the social impact measuring will be really interesting to see. I think it's something that people are caring more about. But to your point, like it's hard to put into metrics and make it more tangible. So I think if you guys crack that nut, that would be awesome. Mm hmm. With your clients, I know sometimes they'll even publish the research methodology, which is really great, again, and speaks to the credibility of everything. But I guess like you would just sit down with your client and kind of decide how transparent and how best to communicate the story. Pretty much. We always say like even before we start a relationship with a client during the initial calls, we want to be 100% transparent. The only kind of consideration we always put put up is like they don't want to reveal, especially in the fashion space, who the exact suppliers are. So we might hide that information as just primary data from client. Uh, but everything else, we try to be like 100% transparent. And for most clients, they're okay with that. There are some larger clients who might not want to put all of that information out there because they're still kind of transition from being you know not fully sustainable to sustainable. So they're taking it one step at a time. And, and that's fair, but I do believe like most of the clients that we work with, they are either committed to be 100% transparent about their, like the supply chain or committed to being that way sometime in the future. For any brands that are kind of just starting out but want to be sustainable, but maybe aren't big enough to work with you guys yet, for your ideal clients, how big are they typically? And if, you know, it's a little too early to work with you, what advice or tips do you have? So when they do want to work with you, they're kind of set up for success. It's interesting. Like, I, I, I'm not even sure, like, what the ideal size is now because we have clients who are, haven't even launched yet, who are just launching, like, maybe next month, who have subscribed to Green Story but want to launch with us. Oh, wow. Uh, and we have clients who have been established for, like, 15 years and are, like, pretty much uh, pillars of the community in a sense. There is a wide range. It really depends on how you want to go about telling your story and what your resources are. For a lot of new fashion clients starting off, all of their resources are built on the website and on driving traffic, which is you know, not what we do. We don't like help in driving traffic. We do help in driving conversion. It really depends on how you want to launch. For a lot of other clients, the brand and the credibility is, is number one. Right. If you're a sustainable brand, you want to be transparent, you want to be credible. And we are probably the most cost effective option, which can show a clear return on investment. That's why a lot of small companies work with us. We also have specific pricing for startups. Like we basically have a 90 percent discount on on our analysis rates. 
and a 50% discount on our platform rates. So it, and that's why it, it's very accessible for startups as well. So most of our clients do tend to be like either startups or just out of the startup phase. Ideally, it's like, you know, you've been in operation for six months, you've got some traffic, and now you want to make your website more valuable, uh, drive, get more of your visitors to purchase your green products and to understand the credibility behind it. Because your first few clients are going to be friends and family. Once it's beyond that, that's when you want something which can really help you, you know, move more of your green products. Because you can be the greenest company in the world. If people aren't buying your products, you're really not green at the end of the day because you're not replacing a non-sustainable product. Mm-hmm. Well, that's awesome. And I think you're right. Like on your website, I think you guys have different pricing and I think it is really accessible to businesses just starting out. So that's awesome. And on a consumer lens, for people that are shopping and trying to filter through all of the greenwashing going on, do you have any tips there? What do you think a lot of big brands commonly do and what should people start watching out for and pick away at? Well, I think what big brands don't do is is what's important. They don't show the whole picture. I mean, there's been recent reports of a brand that's you know globally known and how they were kind of trying to take their first steps towards sustainability was publishing the, the names of the suppliers they use. As a consumer, that doesn't tell me anything about their sustainability. If I'm going there and looking at their labels or at their website, if there's a name of a supplier on the label, it doesn't tell me any information. So if a brand is non-committed or half-committed, I think that's like a red flag for me. The second thing is if the care and attention they pay to every aspect. I think a truly sustainable company is one that goes the extra mile. Granted, not everybody can do that, but if they're committed or looking into better packaging, if they're looking into uh, carbon neutral shipping, and if they're willing to talk about their impact and really go in deep around the supply chain and talk a bit more about what's happening and what they're trying to do, to me, that's a more sustainable brand than somebody who just claims to do these things and says, okay, we're done, right? Because sustainability is a process, and I think every brand should acknowledge that you know they're not fully sustainable and they have goals that they're trying to meet and are tracking them and are transparent and clear about them. To me, that's if, if a brand is at least honest about it, that gives me a good idea of whether to trust the brand's claims or not. Yeah, I think that it just basically on the consumer's end, they probably just need to take longer than seven seconds to make the purchase decision and kind of like look around on the site, read the about page, really kind of see how much information that they give to your point because if they don't talk about certain things chances are they probably aren't doing the best things there so yeah i think that makes sense yeah and i i don't blame people for only taking seven seconds but uh, to my point I, I think like the brand should be willing to put out that information so you can consume it in in the time that you're willing to spend on the site right even with green story like you see the metrics and it kind of catches your eye within the seven seconds as we call it but then you can click on them and read more and you can spend the next 15 minutes reading the report if you want to. So there is a depth that's provided. So it's not just about the metrics. It's about showing the metrics as a gateway towards full transparency. I think the, yeah, the seven seconds is kind of just more of a marketing thing and good to know. But I think that if you're able to extend it with the data that you guys provide, I think that's a huge win. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of our clients, they, they do exactly that. The ones that are like hyper successful with our platform, they bear it in their newsletters. They talk about goals that are built because like one thing that they realize once we do the supply chain analysis is like where they can be greener. So then they have goals around that and they can improve their supply chain. And a lot of them, you know, are public with it and try to be more sustainable that way. Yeah, the power of data, right? When you have data, you can make more informed decisions. <laughs> Who yeah, would have thought? <laughs> especially as a small brand, right? Like yeah. y- you don't have the time or the data right away. So it's good to kind of have something and then you can build up more. Yeah, totally. And I'm kind of curious about what you think about this, but in the sustainability space, there is more attention, more buzz, and I think things are really picking up. But are there a couple, I don't know if trends is the right word, but, you know, quote unquote trends or things that you've seen that really excite you in this space? Hmm. So quite a few. I think like there's been a huge search for more sustainable materials in general from companies. And to me, that's exciting. You know, this this kind of push towards really talking about what materials are sustainable, what are not. Things like uh, usage of cork, for example, which is a carbon negative material because, uh, you know, when you strip the bark out, the trees grow out more bark that actually absorbs more carbon. So to me, that's that's amazing. The improvement in transparency is just leaps and bounds beyond what it was. Back in 2007, when I started off, you know, you could say the word sustainability and you would just be met with blank looks. But that's no longer the case. I think what every company is, no matter how unsustainable they are, is realizing that sustainability is an issue that they have to deal with. And they're taking some kind of steps to kind of work around that. And whether it's positive or not, it is just leading to increased awareness among the consumers that they interact with. That's to me a a really exciting and and positive trend that's going on. And finally, the data. I just think there's so much more data that's available right now with the Sustainable Apparel Coalition, with uh, ThinkStep, a lot of companies putting textile exchange, Tencel, a lot of these companies putting out data the LCA data out there in the public sphere that kind of makes it easier for us, but it also makes it easier for the end consumer and for the brands to choose sustainable products. And I think that that's amazing. Yeah, I think the shift towards more awareness and consumers caring more and thus brands caring more in data has been really awesome to see. So totally agree with you there. Mm-hmm. And just like to add, I think one or two of the things that I'm personally very excited about is secondhand and a shift towards kind of anti-consumerism that's kind of, it used to be hyper niche, but you know, secondhand and uh, resale is set to like eclipse the fast fashion market very soon, which is amazing for me because like you're basically having your impact. And I also find that uh, the repair and like holding on to your clothes movement in a sense is, is happening more and more. So that's also very exciting because like at the end of the day, if, if most sustainable item you wear is, is what you have, right? rather than buying something new. If you can just continue to repair your clothes and uh, take good care of them, that's that's the most sustainable thing. Yes, totally. We talk about that all the time on our <laughs> platforms. But to your point, like rewear, repurpose, upcycle, downcycle, think about end of life. I think it's, yeah, it's just really great, the shift that's happening. Mm-hmm. And I also find like just great to see so many new brands start up. Like we didn't expect to work with so many startups when I, I started working in this space. Fashion to me was completely new. And initially we were working with bigger brands, but now 80% of our clients are, are small startups who are launching or just launched. And it's amazing the enthusiasm that these founders have and like the kind of focus they have on sustainability. So it's great to see that. 
And I'm sure you've shifted through like a lot of industry research and from working with so many clients, I think you have a really big expertise in the area, but I'm curious to hear what maybe the most surprising things you've discovered are. Well, I think what's surprising to me is like there are a lot of green brands out there who don't have dedicated sustainability officers or like people who are really looking into the supply chain and transparency, which to me is surprising if you're a big brand and you're building yourself around sustainability. So that's something that's that's really interesting. The second thing was like the huge gap we found in consumer intent. And we talk about that a lot in our blogs, in our Instagram, and all these other places. It's like everybody nowadays, if you go and poll them, they will say they're a sustainable consumer. It's, you know, I think Canada, the rate is 85% of people self-identify as sustainable consumers. But the follow-through rate of actual purchase is anywhere between uh, 5% to 30%. So there's a massive gap that exists between what people say and what they do. So that, that to me was, it was an early finding from us, but it's, it's just surprising at how it still exists and how it's still a problem. And a lot of like brands don't realize that till they launch their products. It's like, oh, all those people who said they'd buy, they're not actually buying through. They're just checking out our site and going away. With that, I, I notice that a lot with my clients as well. And I think it's kind of a problem because consumers have been conditioned to only pay like $5 for a t-shirt. And then all of a sudden, you know, sustainability has become a thing and they're becoming concerned, but maybe they don't fully understand or they aren't concerned enough to maybe pay a little bit more for the shirt and realize that it's made out of better materials. Someone was paid a living wage, you know. I guess like with that, have you noticed that the gap has decreased a little bit though, or it's still pretty big? I haven't looked at any recent data from, I think there was a study out in 2017, which still said the gap is pretty big. I don't think that's changed. I I think what's changed is how companies approach it. Like with Green Story, we built the kind of system around the gap. For example, we wanted to kind of see how, how do we kind of reduce the gap. And we went with like a behavioral economics approach and we looked at some of the concepts on how other companies have successfully done that. And one of the things we found was like, uh, you know, apart from price, definitely, as you said, you're conditioned to pay this particular price for an item of clothing. Apart from that, there were two things that really stuck out. One was a lack of understanding of environmental impact among end consumers, even the educated ones. And it's difficult, you know, it's hard for you to visualize what 10 kilograms of carbon dioxide is or what eutrophication is. And the second was a lack of personal connection. If I were to make this purchase, if I were to do this sustainable thing, what's my personal impact on the world, right? And from a behavioral economics point of view, it's, it's the idea of saliency. You need to make things top of mind. So if your sustainability story is one of your biggest selling points, you need to make that top of mind and really tell that to the consumer at every step along the way. And if you're doing that, you're much more likely to succeed. And I can only speak from our clients, the ones that have uh, really succeeded are the ones who kind of embedded the metrics or something similar across every part of consumer interaction on their Instagram, on their like homepage, uh, about page and all these places so that People really understand the why, and the why is always kept top of mind. Otherwise, what happens is because we've been trained to be hyper-consumers since a young age, we default to old habits, which is look at the price, look at the material, and that's about it. Make the decision, right? And then you see, oh, this this has cost $75. 
versus this other shirt from this larger brand cost $25 and, it, and they look about the same. So which one am I going to go for? And I, and I work with my clients on this too, but it's all about, to your point, keeping it top of mind, building your brand around it, building your brand equity so people understand what they're paying for and they want to support you and vote with their dollars, right? I think that's so important. Like if you mm-hmm. think about it at the end of the day, you giving $25 to a fast fashion brand for a t-shirt is so different than you maybe paying a little bit more and giving $40 to this sustainable brand because then they can do more of what they're doing. Yeah, it, it's all about the why. I, I think storytelling is so important. You need to tell a good story and you really need to say it with credibility and also like make it top of mind for the customers. Yeah. And I have some business slash entrepreneurial questions for you now, too, because I think you guys have done a really great job with Green Story. You guys have a really great client roster. And so, yeah, my first question is just, I know you have a co-founder, so I'm really curious about how you guys work together. How do you guys make your partnership work? All of that stuff. It's really cool. So we have like, uh, so my co-founder and I met uh, during our Rothman days. We were one of, I'd say, five to 10 people in our batch who were really interested in sustainability. And so we kind of kept in touch even after we graduated and we used to meet weekly to build out Green Story and come up with ideas to build a a company. In terms of how we work together, we have similar skill sets, but different temperaments. I'm more like outgoing and more of a salesperson while he's a lot more analytical and can build these things out. So over time, we kind of realized what we are better suited for in building the company and we kind of self-selected to my doing more sales and marketing and my co-founder Navodit, who's doing a lot more of the technical side, basically become the CTO now, as well as does a lot of the work around the analysis as well with the analysis team. So that's kind of how we split our responsibilities. And then we had kind of sat down, uh, you know, a couple of years down the line, once the team grew to actually build out the teams and who's reporting to whom and uh, how we would kind of be accountable to each other as well. So that was a really important discussion. And after that, we were able to scale easier because there's a bit of independence and a bit of accountability built into it. Throughout this whole journey, what have been some of the biggest lessons that you and your co-founder have learned? Well, that's quite a few of them. One of the main lessons was like test with the customer a lot because initially we, we were basically putting things out there and uh, kind of looking for customers rather than responding to market needs. And uh, Green Story initially started almost like a reporting system where you kind of went in and built out this login system where people went in and typed in how much they sold and of what, and they got a PDF kind of report at the end of it. We still have that for wholesale, but over time we realize what people are more interested in is something that's better integrated into their customer journey, which you know, they don't have to make any extra effort to do and neither does the customer. Definitely keep your ears to the ground and really understand, you know, what's uh, what's going on and respond to that. That is one of our biggest learnings. Let's see what some other things. I, I think the other thing is like, and we got warned on this very early on, it's a customer education. Green Story is a bit unique. It's, there's no other platform like it right now. So I can't say that we are just like, Airbnb only only slightly cheaper or much faster or something like that, right? We had to start with customer education and that's something that we didn't realize at the time. 
for us, because we built the platform, uh, we were like so much in the weeds. We were like, oh, yeah, anybody can understand this complex technical system and how to install it on their website. We just give it to them. But then we realized, no, that's not how it works. This is something really new, something unique, and people really need to be walked through it and understand every step on how we are going to work on their website and make sure it, it reflects their brand and their value. So building that customer onboarding system and kind of making sure we meet the customer needs and also educate them was very important. And also educate in terms of our own kind of personal vision. And the big vision when we started with Green Story was to get consumers to buy more sustainably. And we, we kind of put a number on it, which is, uh, you know, really high. And we still think it's achievable, but it's like we want to get a billion consumers to choose greener products. And building the education around that to talk to consumers as well as talk to companies was very important and over time we realized that these two sets of audiences talk to each other as well so if we work with consumers more and tell them about how to be more sustainable then companies try and find us because we are one of the premier kind of brands for that so it's kind of uh, figuring out how all these different relationships work that is also a huge learning for us i think that all makes sense right like your first lesson around pivoting and changing like I think no business probably looks the exact same every single year and if it does they're probably going to go out of business pretty quickly (laughs) and customer education and awareness raising is really important as well especially in today's day and age and I'm noticing that too right like we do our client work and also consumer awareness raising because at the end of the day these businesses can be set up but then if no one understands why they need to support them then it's a little bit broken. Yeah, and and I think like there was also this idea as a kind of green entrepreneur, I almost wanted to give away the product because I was doing something good in the world and I, and I wanted everybody to have it. It was a big mistake starting off because like I realized that if you're new in the market, people start devaluing you and you don't get the feedback that you need to succeed because people have something for free or on trial or something. They don't have enough skin in the game and they don't pay enough attention to kind of give you the feedback that you need to succeed. So for us, that was very important to discover very early on that, you know, don't give it for free. Make sure that you're providing value, then customers would be willing to give you the cost and the and the time and attention and help you grow because your initial clients are so important. And if they're non-committal, like you're kind of doomed as a company. To your point, it's all about giving value and not just discounting your services. So that's a really good tip. Mm-hmm. The last point was uh, in terms of burnout. I'm sure you experience the same thing at some point. You really go hard because you want to be the best and uh, really succeed initially. But then you do realize you need some level of work-life balance so that you don't like just burn yourself out and not follow through on what your goals are. Yeah, that was actually my next question for you, actually, because I, you guys are working with a lot of different clients. You're managing a team and you're constantly you know, trying to drum up new business. So how do you... I hate this word, but how do you balance it all or how do you prioritize and make sure that everything gets done, but you also take care of yourself? Well, it's kind of uh, a mix of both. I, I can't say I'm very good at it, to be honest. There are times when I really overcommit and I'm working seven days a week, like 16 hour days for a period of weeks. And then I'm like, oh my God, I need to take a break. But typically I try to take an hour out of my day just to spend some time alone or uh, with my wife or something like that. And also make sure I'm not doing any kind of, at least for me personally, any kind of sales work after eight o'clock. No client calls or any of that. 
which is sometimes interesting because we do have customers in Australia <laughs> and a few far from places where eight o'clock is the only time they can meet. So yeah. we do have to adjust. So I do try to go down off certain times and we have basically team bonding sessions, forcibly take people out of the team and like take them off somewhere to have a drink or like have some you know time with the team. Personally, for myself, I try to take a day off a week. It doesn't always work out, but that's the best I can do for now. Uh, unfortunately, that's the price you pay for growth. I don't think there is an easy way around it. You do have to make the trade-off at some point. I agree with you. And I think it's all about listening to yourself, to your point. Like, I think there's certain times where things are busy and you kind of just need to power it through. But then you need to take a break as well, because otherwise, you know, burnout's probably inevitable. Mm-hmm. I think like, you know, just kind of doing that helps you be more efficient. If you have set times where you're doing certain tasks, then you're not distracted by doing many different things. You're just focusing on one thing, finish that off, and then you know at eight o'clock you got to stop and just move on to some admin stuff or something that's not client-facing. And a couple last questions, but do you have any last words of advice or tips, be it for businesses or for consumers? For businesses, I would say like definitely make sure your core abilities are in-house. Test your market thoroughly and quickly. Constantly ask for feedback. And I think most importantly, get some strong case studies in early if you really want to like sell to especially like a B2B kind of uh, section. Because I think for us, what we realized is like once companies see that other people are, uh, are using a platform with some success, we got a lot of clients coming in immediately after that. So it, it definitely matters to kind of have strong case studies. Second is like, you know, if you're if you're a small startup, don't spread yourself in too thin. And this is something we kind of learned the hard way. We were initially working in 20 different industries for the first two years, and then we didn't really do well in any of them. And then we realized there's this huge pull from the eco-fashion market. And we kind of doubled down on that last year. And we kind of grown from 10 companies in that space to over 60 right now. So. Wow. It, it definitely makes a huge difference if you focus and uh, if you really like zone in on what your niche is, at least initially, and then you can expand. In terms of consumers, I think you got some great tips on your blog, but I would say one of the things is definitely look for companies that are really going that extra mile, being really transparent, like who are willing to answer your questions about the numbers and really willing to talk about their sustainability and goals and even show their imperfections. I think uh, Keering is one of those companies which is like a, it's a huge global behemoth, but they're willing to show the data behind uh, their impact and show the kind of the bad side of it. And I think that's that to me is a very positive sign that they might be doing something good in the future. Yeah, totally. And thanks for the note about your vlog. I love your Instagram as well, too. I think it's great. And speaking no, of your you. Instagram, how can everyone find you and support you? Um, and if people that are listening, because I do have some sustainable fashion brand owners that listen. So if they are curious to work with you, how can they reach out? Instagram is probably the best way. Our Instagram is at Green Story Inc. Or you can go to our website uh, and I can send you the link as well, which is greenstory.ca. And there is a demo sign up. If you are a brand that's interested, we'll be happy to give you a walkthrough, uh, tell you how the system can work. And yeah, so th those are the two easiest ways to get in touch with us. Okay, perfect. And I'll have all of that linked in the show notes so you guys can see it as well. Sounds good. 
Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Kill. Thank you for taking time out of your busy day to chat with us. There was a lot of great nuggets here. And again, like I think you guys are doing great work with Green Stories. So huge props to you guys. Thank you, Selena. And, and likewise to you as well. I'm a huge fan of Recloseted and I really like what you guys are doing and looking forward to working together sometime in the future. If you want to help us spread fashion sustainability and recruit more members to join our Recloseted movement, make sure you leave us a rating and review that really helps us. And take a screenshot of you listening to this episode and post it to your Instagram stories and tag us at Recloseted. That helps us spread the word, and it's also really cool seeing you guys listen to our episodes. I hope you have an amazing week, and remember, we are all in this together, and together we will write the harmful fashion industry.